Um, so the past few weeks, I have been binge-watching The Office. Um, Mary Clark and I hadn't watched it in a long time, and we just started watching it again. And so I'm watching two seasons at the same time. So Mary Clark and I are watching season five, and on my own, I've been watching the last season. Who here's watched it all the way through? Okay. So spoiler alert for those of you who haven't. So I am on the last season of the last episode um, of The Office, and... Um, so finishing up season nine and the last episode, which the last episode of so many shows do this, it's a reunion show, right? They bring back everybody. And so they have this big reunion and it's surrounding around a wedding. And then also there's this like panel discussion because the office is actually a real documentary in the show on PBS. So it's like a meta joke on two levels. So they're doing this documentary and, um, they're having this panel discussion and as I'm watching it last night, I'm thinking, man, I'm really excited to see all my office friends back together at the end. I know it's, I get really sucked into shows. Um, but, like, I really want them to be back together. Like, there's something about it when we watch a show like this and you've been with people for nine seasons. Or, like me, I'm only, like, five and a half seasons. You, you long, like, you want to see the characters come together and you want to see them um, enjoying one another, right? Am I the only one who does this? Do you all feel this way when you watch shows, right? You, you get invested in their lives. Um, and there's this great line from Andy Bernard in the last episode where he says, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you actually left them. That good. I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you actually left them. Um, and the show is tapping into this desire we have uh, to see people enjoy each other and to dwell in community. Right? That's what the reunion show is. Everyone is happy and they're with one another and they love one another. And this, for us, is good. We love seeing people actually together and enjoying each other. Um, and we do this, right? We make sense um, of who we are based upon the way that we dwell in communities together, the different communities that we're a part of. So the way that we think about ourselves is the communities that we belong to. I think of the communities you belong to here at Wake. Um, you're on your hall. There's a way in which that, particularly if you're a freshman, the way in which those friendships form, that it is, um, it is a community in which you belong. Or maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe uh, you're involved in outdoor pursuits or you're a runner um, or uh, shopping. Maybe that's a, a community that you find yourself a part of. I found that anything is a legitimate community has an online message board. So there's an online messenger board for it. It's probably a legitimate community. I don't know if there's a shopping online message board. Um, there is. It's called Amazon.com, right? That's where we go and we do this. Uh, other communities you're a part of. Maybe you're in a fraternity or sorority or um, you're in an acapella group or you're involved in Wake Radio, or uh, you do community service with other people. Um, some of these communities are yours by choice, right? The Greek community, if you're in a fraternity or sorority, it's their choice and your choice, um, or a particular hobby that you're doing is by choice. Some of these communities you're born into, your family, your ethnicity. Um, and as much as we operate as individuals, we really make sense of ourselves based in the community that we find ourselves in. And we need community. Um, John... Uh, Cacciapo, who's the director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago, in his book Loneliness, um, he finds that the, there are higher levels of, of epinephrine, which is the stress hom- hormone, in the morning urine of lonely people. This is his research. That loneliness, and what he's saying is loneliness actually burrows deep within us. 
Um, He writes that when we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed their white cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way the genes were being expressed. Loneliness affects not only the brain, but also the basic process of DNA transcription. So when you are lonely, your whole body is lonely. Um, and think about the way we talk about our need for community, right? We all long to have a group of people who know us and love us. And all of us feel this need, right? Either we cling to our friends so tightly in order to prevent ourselves from feeling lonely, or if we've lived long enough, um, that strategy has failed us, and we begin to experience the reality that life is lonely just by being in it. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about community, and we're going to do this um, by reading Psalm 133 together. Um, this is printed on the backside of your light blue uh, piece of paper. Um, I'm going to read this for us, and then um, we're going to pray. So this is Psalm 133. This is a song of a sense of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us by your spirit, and we pray now that you would um, help us to see how you provide true community for us. Lord, would you open our eyes and our hearts to receive from you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So pictured poetically in this psalm um, is a true community. Um, And this this psalm is, what's going on here is David is reflecting on true community, and he gives us these two kind of odd illustrations that we're going to work through together. So this semester, if you're new with us, what we've been doing is we've been going through the Songs of Ascent, which are a collection of 15 psalms within um, the larger book of psalms. They're Psalms 120 through 134. And um, these songs were sung by the Jews three times a year when they made the trek from wherever they lived all over um, ancient Palestine to uh, to Jerusalem. And they would sing these songs together. Um, and they would sing it as they went for the feasts, the great feasts, for, uh, for the feast of Passover, which celebrated the exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt. When they went up for the feast of Pentecost, which was like the spring harvest feast. And then when they went up for the feast of tabernacles, which is when they um, celebrated God providing for them when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, being led by Moses, where they had to rely on God for food and protection. Um, And there's an old historian named Josephus. He wrote in the late first century, and he wrote a book called The Antiquities of the Jews. And he writes about the Songs of Ascent. And he says that um, they would uh, go, the Jews would go up to Jerusalem to the temple together. um, And that by meeting and feasting together, um, this let them maintain an affectionate connection with one another. For if they don't meet together continually, they will appear more like They'll appear like mere strangers to one another. I'll read that again. By meeting and feasting together, this let them maintain an affectionate connection with one another. For if they didn't meet together continually, they will appear like mere strangers to one another. Right? So the function of going up to the temple three times a year was so that they would actually see each other. The 12 tribes of Israel would see one another so that they could dwell in unity together. And this is how the psalm opens. 
Behold, looking at all of Israel who had come up to the feast, behold how good it is when how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In order to illustrate this, def- the the defining reality of true community, the psalm repeats this one Hebrew verb three times, and that sort of structures the psalm. You'll see in verse two, he says it's like this oil that's running down, um, running down, and then in verse three. Uh, our translation is which falls on, but it's the same verb, running down. So he's saying it's like oil running down, rolling down, and it's like water or dew running down. So what um, David is saying is that um, as God's grace flows downhill, it creates true community. And, God, and David gives us two illustrations to draw this out. So the first illustration is the anointing of Aaron. This is in verse 2, where he writes, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. All right, this is kind of a weird illustration, right? It's like a guy getting a bucket of oil poured on him, and it's getting on, it's like, it's on his hair, and now it's on his beard, and now it's on his collar. Like, that's all it's saying. Um, so what he's doing, he's actually describing the ordination of priests for the Jewish sacrificial system. And the Bible describes this, this ordination in great detail. Uh, there are two chapters in the book of Exodus that are devoted um, to the ordination. Um, the first one, chapter 28, focuses on the robes exclusively. And there's this phrase repeated throughout on how they were to make the robes for the priests that says that they were to be holy garments made for glory and beautiful. Um, glory made for glory and beauty. And so the robes of Aaron were these like exquisitely woven robes of gold and blue and purple and scarlet. And then he had a breastplate on that was adorned with these 12 precious stones to signify the the, um, tribes of Israel. I mean, this was really an awesome um, garment that the high priest wore. And then chapter 29 of Exodus focuses on the, the anointing or the ordination of the priests. That they made this special oil with um, special uh, fragrances to pour on his head. And there's actually commands that if anyone uses the oil for anything else, like if anyone uses it to go out on a date, then they're to be kicked out of Israel. Like it's that spe- it smells that good, first of all. But second of all, it's that special that this is only for the anointing of the priest. Um, so... And so the anointing, I mean, I guess the the picture that was in my head is think of a college football game, right? Underdog team is up by like 21 at the end of the game. um, And so the first string is out, the second string is in. And what is the first string doing? It's like two minutes left in the game, right? They are over looking for the Gatorade container that's filled to the brim. And they're going to get it to pour it on their head coach. And, you know, and you know this because you're watching TV and that's what the camera's fixed on because the game's over. So they're looking, they're watching the linemen as they're going to go and pour the water out on the head coach. And so uh, the game run, time runs out and the head coach gets his ice cold Gatorade bath. So this is sort of like that. Um, not exactly the same thing because the Gatorade anointing of the, the football coach comes at the end of the game. Um, whereas the oil anointing of Aaron um, comes right at the beginning. And uh, the community of Israel and the community of the church is built on the confession that in order for us to be made right with one another in true community, we need to first be made right with God. And that's what Aaron was doing. He was being instituted as the high priest for the sacrificial system, that people might be made right with God. Right? And this is the story that the Bible tells, that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, made humans in his own image. Right? We, were, we were created to love God with our whole heart and with our whole 
um, our whole soul and strength and mind, and we were created to love others as ourselves, and we were created to, um, to take care of this creation and actually uh, to cultivate it together. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, rather than receiving their identity and purpose and meaning from God, they, they attempted to create it on their own. They believed the lie that God doesn't have their best interests in mind and that he himself doesn't love them. And so they took matters into their own hands. And the Bible calls this sin. It's pursuing our own lives apart from God. Um, and it's rooted in believing the lie that God doesn't love us. And because we were made by God for God, life apart from God isn't a life at all, but it actually results in death. And so the fundamental human need that we have is to be made right with God so that we can be restored to our communion with him. And God knows that, that this is something that we can't do on our own. We can't be made right with God out of our own efforts. This is something that he has to do for us. And this is what the ordination of Aaron is all about. Um, Aaron was the first priest of Israel. The one who God gave to his people. He was anointed. He was set apart to offer sacrifices to God for the people's sins. Um, God, in his grace, he wants to dwell with his people. And that's what the whole Old Testament sacrificial system is about. It's about God being gracious to his people that he might dwell with his people. And the psalm here pictures this for us by focusing how the oil falls on David's head and onto his beard and then onto his robes, running down onto his head, running down onto his beard and onto his robes. And then this word is used again in verse 3 about the dew of Hermon that's falling or running down the mountain. Mount Hermon is, um, I learned this this week, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in the, um, the Syrian mountain range north of Israel. It's 9,000 feet high, and it's covered on snow most of the year. And um, it is, um, it's covered in dew. If you've ever been on top of a mountain early in the morning, it's very wet. If you've ever camped out on top of a mountain, you wake up and everything's very wet. And so uh, the top of the mountain is soaking wet in dew, and the dew from Hermon um, waters the lower mountains, the mountains of Zion. Like the water up there is what, um, what goes down the mountains, down the streams, down into the rivers. And what this psalm is saying is that just as the oil isn't limited to Aaron's head, and just as the dew isn't limited to Mount Hermon, um, God's grace isn't limited to those who are at the top. Just as the nature of oil is to overflow and spill, and the nature of dew is to turn into streams and streams into rivers, um, as God's grace overflows and spills and runs, it creates true community. As grace flows downhill, it creates true community. So how do we, um, how do we make sense of this? How are we to pursue true community? Well, the first thing would be that we're to look for people who are downhill, um, meaning we're to pursue others out of God's grace to us. Another way of saying this is that the true measure of a community is how well its lowest members are treated. The true measure of a community is, is to measure how well its lowest members are treated. So I ask you this, how the communities that you're a part of here at Wake, um, how do these communities treat uh, the weakest, the most awkward, the most hated member? Um, or how do they treat the person who will never have membership in those groups? I was told a story a little while back about um, a summer camp called Camp Alpine. Some of you may be familiar with it. This is an all-boys camp in northern Alabama. Um, and the director of the camp says to his, uh, his counselors when they come in each summer, 
He says to them, the kids aren't going to remember what you taught in devotions. Um, They're not going to remember what good advice you gave them. But they're going to remember how you treated the most unpopular boy in your cabin. These kids, ages like 8 to 13, are going to remember how you treated the most unpopular boy in your cabin. And a friend told me the story um, of a counselor who was there. He's probably 18 or 19. Um, and he had a cabin of like 9 or 10-year-olds. And there's just one kid in the cabin who's just a complete jerk. Um, you can imagine 9-year-old jerk kid. Um, no one liked him. And then um, one night, he wets his bed. And so he goes to his counselor and tells him through tears that he's wet his bed. And the counselor stays up with him all night long um, um, until the morning. And hears the story of how he's homesick um, and the camp has been so hard for him. And it's starting to make sense why this kid has been such a jerk because he's, he's, he's homesick. And, he's, um, and so the next day when the sun comes up, uh, this counselor goes to the head of the camp and uh, he turns in his resignation. He says to the camp director, I'm done. Um, this, was, this is too hard. I'm staying up with this kid. This kid is so aggravating. And then he wets his bed and stays up all night and cries to me, I'm done. Um, this is too hard. And the director turns to him and says, too hard? Um, why are you doing this job? Is it for you or for the kids? Um, and the, and the boy remembers, the counselor remembers, oh, wait, I'm not here for myself, I'm here for them. And then went back and um, finished out his term um, with camp. All right? They will remember you by how well um, you treat the most unpopular boy in your cabin. Um, this is similar also to Undercover Boss. Have you all seen this show? Uh, this, the boss of a company will go undercover into the bowels of whatever his organization is and see how the employees are actually treated. And often he finds... Um, unlike the illustration from the camp, often he finds that the people at the bottom are treated poorly. So who is at the bottom? Um, Who is at the bottom of of our communities? Well, it's most often um, it's the people who aren't like you and the people who you don't like. And God is calling you to pursue those people, to pursue the people who aren't like you and the people whom you don't like. Um, there's a pastor in New York named Tim Keller who tells a story of when he was, when he took his first church when he was in his 30s. It was in this small industrial town in eastern Virginia called Hopewell. And he was an educated um, sort of white-collar guy from, from the northeast. And he comes to this southern blue-collar town. And he said that he didn't like the people and they weren't like him. But it was through spending time with them, through serving them, through laying down his life for them, that he actually came to love um, the people in Hopewell, Virginia. Um, It was through serving them that he came to love them. So we need to ask ourselves these questions. Um, Who's not here because they don't think RUF exists for them? Who self-excludes from this group? Who isn't here because they're not like you? And who isn't here because you don't like them? And what would it look like for you to go after them? To pursue them out of God's grace for you? And this is the opposite of how we operate most of the time, isn't it? Um, Because most of the time, what we call community is just an opportunity for ladder climbing. An opportunity to build your resume or to get connected to more powerful people. Even in RUF, even in the church, our hearts are filled with sin and are not aimed at receiving God's downhill grace or pursuing others out of God's grace for us, but rather are focused on using others for our own selfish gain. 
using others, um, putting up with each other, trying to jockey for status with each other. But the image in this psalm is God's people getting along with one another, enjoying each other, celebrating one another, experiencing unity with one another because they are receiving blessing from God. Look at verse 3. The blessing that the Lord has commanded is eternal life. So how do you experience the unity that this psalm is talking about? Pastor and author John Ortberg um, writes about the power of what he calls no secret friendships. He says, one of the most important moments of my spiritual life was when I sat down with a longtime friend of mine and said, I don't want to have any secrets anymore. I told him everything I was ashamed of. I told him about my jealousies, my cowardice, how I hurt my wife with my anger. I told him about my history with money and my history with sex. I told him about deceit and regrets that keep me up at night. I felt vulnerable because I was afraid that I was going to lose connection with him. And much to my surprise, he didn't even look away. I will never forget his next words. John, he said, I have never loved you more than I love you right now. The very truth about me that I thought would drive him away became a bond that drew us closer. And then he went on to speak with me about the secrets that he'd been carrying. If I keep a part of my life secret from you, you may tell me that you love me. But inside, I think that you would not love me if you knew the whole truth about me. How true is that? I'll say it again. Um, If I keep part of my life secret from you, you may tell me that you love me. But inside, I think that you would not love me if you knew the whole truth about me. I can only receive love from you to the extent that I am known by you. I can only receive love from you to the extent that I am known by you. And the testimony of the Bible and the testimony of the church is that the blessing of being known and loved comes in and through Jesus Christ. Before the Psalms were the prayer book of the church, um, they were the prayer book of Jesus. Like Jesus read and prayed this psalm during his life. And he desired our unity so deeply. He longed for us to know the downhill grace of God so intensely that he laid down his life for it. Think of how this psalm filled out Jesus' self-understanding of what his work on the cross would accomplish. Jesus, eternally God and fully human, um, was the true and final priest like Aaron. And when he was lifted up to serve as our priest, it wasn't fragrant oil that flowed from his head onto his robes, but rather it was his blood poured out for us that flowed from his head, his hands, his side, and his feet. Um, And his blood for us is all of grace because the downhill grace of God is Jesus. Um, Paul writes this in Philippians 2. He says, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Ephesians 2 tells us that it's in Jesus' flesh that God has reconciled us to one another and to himself in one body through the cross. 
That it's through the cross that God kills the hostility between us and God and us and each other. And Jesus' death on the cross was born out of his desire to accomplish this. That through his death and his resurrection, he might form a people who know and make known God's downhill grace. People who receive his grace as it flows to them through one another. And people who extend his grace to those who they think are are beyond it. And one way that we talk about this, or the way one of the church talks about this, is that the church is the only institution that exists for those who are not yet members of it. Because it's the church who has been given this call. Um, And the church celebrates this each week. And celebrates it every week as the church gathers around the Lord's table. Um, It's as the church proclaims that the poured out blood and the broken body of Jesus is the source of eternal life. Um, And we call that communion. That true community is found in and through Jesus' wounds. It's there and there alone that we are brought together um, in uh, the eternal life that God promises. Right? It's only in the body of Jesus that you can experience the true community that you were designed for. The community that receives the downhill grace of God and the community that extends that same grace to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are um, the embodiment of your Father's grace. um, That you have come to us um, like oil flowing down Aaron's beard and like the dew of Mount Hermon. That um, the blessing of grace creates true community and we find that in you. And we pray that you would help us to believe this. Um, And would you send us out in your strength to, um, to welcome people in to the community that you have bought by your blood. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.